Welcome back to another episode of Islam in America. And we've been doing these episodes, I think we're on our 11th episode so far. Can Islam survive in America? Can they live under the same umbrella? And we're here with Sharam Haiti again, as we're doing a series on this. Uh, you know, when we talk about Islam, we have to say in America, we have to say, is it fraud, symbolism, or cultural? And the reason why I say it like that is because there's so much fraud in Minnesota throughout the United States. We got $250 million of the largest COVID fraud that ever happened. We've got $100 million worth of fraud that's leaving airports. We have marriage fraud that's going on in Minnesota. We have welfare fraud. The fraud is just continually. And then we also go into female genital mutilation that is happening throughout all of the Islamic communities in Minnesota. So is that culturalism? Do we accept it in the United States Constitution as being cultural or a way of life that we're going to accept it? Uh, so, uh, or is it symbolism? We're seeing a lot of symbolism in, in, in America today with the Islamic uh, culture. Uh, today we have, for example, is the anniversary of, uh, of the U-Haul uh, incident that happened three years ago where a driver, an Islamic driver, drove over a, a whole bunch of people. Uh, so is it symbolism? Uh, we're going to have Sharam Hadim explain that to us uh, in detail. And, uh, and another thing I want to talk about today with Sharam, we're going to be talking about today is the day they opened up the Abrahamic House of Faith, which I think it's going to be quite demonic in all aspects. So we're going to get into that. And also, one of the third things I want to talk about today is the Minnesota State Capitol, uh, the Islamic community just... Uh, came out and said they wanted jihad on jihad, which means raging uh, committee war on the infidel. They want jihad in America or in Minnesota. So Minnesota basically is ground zero along with Michigan. That's putting the G, pushing the jihad movement. And we're going to be getting into all these uh, issues. Is is it fraud, symbolism, or cultural? And we're going to bring on Sharam Haiti. And Sharam, are you on, you're on deck. Yes, sir. Good Thank you for having Trump. me back. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, you heard what I said. Is it fraud, symbolism, or cultural? Because when somebody does something like female genital mutilation, they call it cultural. Yet, if I may, in the Islamic community in Somalia, in, in the Constitution of Somalia, it says it is forbidden to have female genital mutilation in their in their land of Somalia, yet all the girls do female genital mutilation because it's cultural. Are we headed in that direction with the cultural, symbolic, and all the fraud? Are we heading there? Well, I think that uh, we're already there to some extent, Ron. Like you talked about the fraud. Let's deal with the fraud first. So we've talked about in the past that uh, I think an attitude of the uh, the the category of migrants that we see coming to the United States. For example, you're referencing the Somali community in Minnesota. Uh, the largest Somali population in America is in Minnesota. Uh, so the cultural aspect of them coming, yes, could it be cultural? But yet we know that fraud or stealing the from the from the from the kafir, which is a term that Islam uses to refer to the unclean, the unbelievers, meaning that anybody that's not a Muslim, is it okay for them to exploit, to steal money 
from their, uh, from their banks, from their kitties, from their government, from their resources? And the answer is yes, that is acceptable within warfare. How many times have we said on, on these programs that Islam must be judged by the two houses? So when they're in the lower house, which is the house of the unbeliever, it is called the house of war. Well, in warfare, it's okay to be able to steal from their coffers. It's okay to be able to, to commit fraud, whether, as you said, it's, it's uh, welfare fraud, whether it's tax fraud, <clears throat> immigration fraud, like Ilhan Omar, the uh, congresswoman from the 5th District in, in, in Minnesota, who uh, it, it is so well documented that she committed immigration fraud and married her own brother to get into the country. How she has not been investigated and removed from Congress and thrown into prison is a mystery, right, in, in our modern day politics. So I think that um, there is fraud ongoing. I certainly understand your question is that it's easy to rationalize, oh, well, female genital mutilation or circumcision is just cultural, but yet we know that it's not cultural because according to the Islamic law books that we've been referencing, it's religious. And that's what we, come, we keep coming back to. It's, it, the, the narrative of the, those who defend Islam as being compatible with the West, with Western cultures and Judeo-Christian foundation, the narrative is, oh, you can't stop them from doing what they're doing because it's just cultural. The Muslim who doesn't want to work in the store that uh, at Target because they serve bacon. And the Muslim says, I'm not gonna handle bacon or I'm not gonna handle alcohol or I'm not gonna drive Jews because that's unclean. Oh, that's cultural. No, it's not cultural. It's religious. It, it, it is scriptural. So I think that it's a great question. I think we have to address it. Uh, certainly I understand that certain Muslim countries will say, well, we're gonna outlaw female genital mutilation it doesn't change the fact that it's still permissible legally, scripturally, uh, according to Islamic law. And that's why we're making the argument that it's incompatible. Not because someone may have a, uh, you know, the Italians may have their own culture, the Polish people have their own culture, you know, everybody has their own, I I Iranians, I'm from Iran. We have, we have certain per cultural things in the Persian culture. We're talking about law. We're talking about what is compatible legally, what is compatible with our constitution, what is compatible with the principles and the values of a Western society based on Judeo-Christian values and laws. That's why Islam is incompatible with those ideals. Well, it, we're not just talking about female genital mutilation, we're talking about just about every aspect of the Islamic tradition. So. We're talking right. about marriage. Right. Marriage is probably the biggest. So you just mentioned Ilan Homar. She yeah. married her brother. Then she ends up marrying somebody else. So we're, we're, we're seeing uh, female genital mutilation, the, 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 the fraud of money that's being removed, marriage fraud. Um, you know, when, 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 they're, when they're getting large amounts of remittance, or not remittance, uh, money back, uh, through the refugee resettlement program and then sending it home. That's a form of money laundering of taking away from us and giving it to their, uh, their, their religious culture. Because remember that a certain portion of the money that they sent back to their homeland, 2.75% of that 
uh, has to go to the jihad or the, the, the house of war. That's, That's obligatory. Right. So people, our, our federal government doesn't understand when they're sending money back home, a percentage of it has to be going to the jihad. Could you uh, expound on that a little bit? Well, as, as, part, as part of the five pillars of Islam, Muslims are uh, responsible for almsgiving, correct? That's one of the five pillars. And one eighth, uh, some say, some say, Ron, as much as one eighth. I, I've seen some Islam, Islam, Islamic scholars say that it's obligatory to give more than that 2.75%. So they'll say it's higher than that. But at the minimum, as you said, uh, it is understood that a percentage of their almsgiving, meaning whatever money they're either giving or getting. And by the way, almsgiving, when they talk about charity, oh, Muslims are very charitable. But they have to also understand that within Islamic law, that char ch charity must go to only other Muslims. They're not supposed to be charitable to non-Muslims. They're supposed to be charitable. But a portion of that almsgiving and the money that they're uh, receiving and giving must go back to the cause of jihad, to the cause of warfare against the unbelievers. Now, that can happen, um, you know, by the, by the, 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 the words spoken. So you, you, you fund organizations that are verbally calling for jihad. That can happen by the pen. That can happen by lawfare. So we're going to fund organizations like the Muslim Brotherhood Group Care. So we're going to give money to those organizations that we know we know, and it's well documented in law enforcement um, uh, history, that groups like CARE are jihadist organizations. They're, they're, these, are, these are tied to uh, groups like the Muslim Brotherhood that, that is an identified terrorist group in Egypt, in the United, even in the United Arab Emirates. And yet the United States couldn't label the Muslim Brotherhood as a terrorist organization. After all these years of Republicans in the Congress and the Republican president, we still can't label the Muslim Brotherhood in the United States as a terrorist organization. But a percentage of every Muslim's giving must go to jihad. And that is obligatory, as you said, meaning it's mandatory. So this, as you said, we're stacking upon stacking upon stacking upon examples of how every aspect of a devout Muslim's uh, expression of Islam is then it, it, it butts against it, 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 it's con it's contrary contrary to the United States Constitution to the Bill of Rights. Uh, you know, I, I have a presentation that I did that is called Islam's Assault on the U.S. Constitution, and in there I go through at least twelve reasons why. Islamic law and the Islamic religion, quote unquote, is antithetical to our Bill of Rights, starting with the First Amendment. So that's, I think that's what you're talking about is that we have to establish that a, a, the majority of what they're doing is not cultural. It is commanded, it is obligatory, it is within their text. And if it's within their text, Ron, can they change? Can they ignore it? No. Not they can't ignore it. All it says, no, his word is final. That's right. That's right. And when we talk about what's going on in places like Minnesota, as they get closer, so let me just quickly explain this part of it. As they get closer to the upper house, so if they're in the lower house, where again, it's the Dar el Harb, the house of war, 
when they get closer to that upper house, the Dar el Islam or the house of Islam or the house of surrender, one of the things that's very important is that where deception is allowed in the lower house, it is not allowed in the upper house, except one would argue for the deception of treaty, where they can make a treaty or an agreement. But where it comes to presenting Islam, when they get to the upper house, they, they're not allowed to any longer deceive the unbelievers and tell them Islam is peaceful, Islam is tolerant, Islam can coexist. No, no, no. They will say, no, Islam is final, like you just said. Islam is the final religion. Uh, Allah is the only God. Everybody must surrender to Islam. So now we lose the compatibility. We lose the kumbaya. What happened to the kumbaya? I thought we were going to hold hands and sing kumbaya and all. What happened? So that, by the way, so that goes not just for non-Muslims, but it goes for Muslims. Muslims who are lukewarm, who are fence-sitters, who don't know if they want to be all in, the warning is to them. And that's what you're talking about is that the word of Allah, according to Islam, is final. So the Muslim in Minnesota who says, well, I don't want to live this way. I don't want to live according to Sharia in Minnesota. Too bad, because once the Islamic movement gains power enough in Minnesota to declare it the upper house, guess what? You're going to either obey or now you are called a hypocrite, according to the Quran. Ron, what can happen to hypocrites? Well, they could die. I think it's 0 0.09 in the Quran, in the uh the reliance of the traveler, I believe it's 0 0.09. If you, if you become an apostate, you shall die. It's uh, it's in the uh, reliance of the traveler. It's also in the Quran. That's right. That's right. So uh, this is what we're talking about. Uh, so, uh, you know, let, let's talk about some other examples. For example, we see this in the public schools, to your point about culturalism. Um, I brought this up before. When in the public schools, they're not allowed to teach Christianity anymore, right? They can't teach about our Judeo-Christian foundation. They can't say America was a Christian nation. Uh, we've, we've kicked out prayer and the Bible and the Ten Commandments, anything that had to do with our Judeo-Christian foundation. Then we know that over the last, what, 20, 30 years, they've been teaching more and more about Islam in the public schools. The textbooks that talk about comparative religion that have, set, you know, uh, we documented this on our website. Uh, they had three pages on Christianity. They had seven chapters on Islam when they were talking about comparative religion. In those seven chapters, they covered the five pillars of Islam. Ron, can I ask you a question? Aren't the five pillars of Islam religious? That's not cultural, is it? No, it, it, it's actually not in the, it's not in the Quran, it's in the Hadiths. So it's, it's the teachings of Muhammad, it's the traditions of Muhammad. So when you say it's traditional, it's like rabbinic, or the traditions which is in the Jewish laws, or the traditions which is in the Christian laws, they have the Sharia, which that's where it sits in the traditions of, uh, but it's not in the Quran, it's in the Sunnah, the three books of Islam. So, and given the fact that the Sunnah carries with it the, you know, in most cases, the same authority, because thus says Muhammad, right? Whatever Muhammad says goes, so you have the, the situation that those pillars are scriptural to Islam, correct? So now I would argue that those elements, right, like, like 
fasting is in the Quran. The prayers are are commanded in the in the in the Quran itself. Um, obviously, uh, the Shahada is not directly in the Quran, but they they pray that that there is no God but Allah and His Messenger, the Prophet Muhammad. So it's kind of like we talked about the word Trinity. You know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but yet we know that the concept of the Trinity is in the Bible: Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But my point is, in the schools, for years, when they were teaching about the five pillars of Islam, when they were teaching about Islam and the Shahada, which is, again, the prayer to become a Muslim, that's like the sinner's prayer, when they were teaching about the, uh, uh, the, the life of the prophet of, of Islam, Muhammad, the, when anybody would raise a stink and would say, wait a second, you can't talk about Christianity, but you can talk about these things? How does that work? They'll say, oh, here we go, ready? It's cultural. It's cultural. No, 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 it's not religious. It's cultural. So our job, you know, my job as a former Muslim, no, 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 is to bring it back to the text, to the Quran, to the Sharia, to the Hadith, to the Sunnah, to bring it back and say, no, it's not cultural. It's textual. It's scriptural. It is Islam. And that's the battle in America right now. And that's the battle in the West. When we see headline, I, I was just on Jihad Watch, which is a website run by uh, a mutual colleague, Robert Spencer, uh, you know, a well-versed uh, scholar on Islam, right? Jihad Watch, like I, I, can't, I kid you not, I encourage people to go to jihadwatch.org, O-R-G. Article after article is about the rape culture in Europe right now, how all these Muslim migrants, migrants are raping European women in Sweden, in Norway, in Germany, in the United Kingdom. Can I ask you a question, Ron? Uh, is is the rape culture in Europe cultural? Is that just a is is that just a nature of the culture of Muslim men, or is it scriptural? Is that permissible within Islamic text that when they're in again the house of the unbelievers, they can rape? unbelieving women and there's nothing scripturally wrong with it it's not a sin to rape a non-muslim from is that accurate would that be an accurate statement that is that is 100 accurate it, it, it goes all the way back to muhammad when he would when he would do caravan raids and he would raid a caravan or the battle of the trenches he would kill he would have the war kill the husband kill the male kidnap the booty and, and take the wives as their concubines and rape them and use them and, and, and take all their money and their booty. Yes, that is, that's written right in their hadiths, in the Sunnah. That's what they did. So that is, that is again, you say that's, that's it's not cultural, that is spiritual and uh, religious, yeah. I should say. Religious. It's religious. It's religious. So, so again, the title of our show today talking about, um, you know, fraud cultural symbolism when we talk about jihad there's a perfect one for you jihad has been so symbolized we know jihad is literal but every part of islamic text tells us that jihad is literal it's not just spiritual okay 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 let's be fair we can argue there's a spiritual element to jihad right muslims are they they like it, as, as a christian the Bible tells me that we do not fight against flesh and blood. Here's a huge difference between Christianity and Islam. 
The Bible tells me that I am not to fight against the flesh of somebody I, because we recognize as a spiritual battle. So if, if I have somebody that hates me, and, and that happens quite a bit, you, you and I are hated, <laughs> we're, we're put on the hate list, you know, and, and I'm put on the Southern Poverty Law Center hate group and hate list. Uh, if someone hates me, the Bible tells me don't hate the person, understand it's a spiritual battle. We war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, it's a spiritual battle. In Islam, it's the different, it's the opposite, isn't it, Ron? Jihad is to specifically wage a war against unbelievers. Again, you cited section O, section O 9.0 in the Reliance of the Traveler uh, by Al Misri, right here, this book, the third most authoritative compilation of Islamic law in the world. And in this section, it specifically says that you are waging war against certain specific people. And by the way, those are Christians, Jews, the Zoroastrians, the Sumerians. It, it's, it, it names those people. So jihad has been treated, Ron, as symbolism, right? Oh, jihad is just a spiritual struggle. When Muslims talk about we must fight jihad, they're just talking about spiritually. Yet that is not only against the example of the prophet of Islam, Jesus in the Bible says, love your enemies. Muhammad in the Bible says, kill your enemies. Those are completely opposite. Jihad was never meant to be only spiritual or symbolic. And today we're fighting this battle. We're fighting this information battle because when, and, and in, in just a couple of minutes, maybe in a couple of minutes, we should play that video clip we're going to play. When we have Muslims calling for jihad against non-Muslims, can you explain to people, Ron, how that is not ever meant to be just spiritual or symbolic? Oh, it's just a symbolic uh, uh, language. It, it doesn't mean that we're actually going to try to kill people. Yeah, they've been doing symbolism, well, ever since Muhammad, 1400 years. I mean, you look at uh, September 11th and 12th, uh, you go back to, I think it's 1539 and 1589 in, in September 11th in the uh, gates of Vienna. They like to attack on the traditional same dates because they're very symbolic. You look at what just happened. Again, we, I mentioned the, uh, the guy with the U-Haul three years ago, and now we have another guy who just drove and killed some more people the other day in the same type of scenario. Again, symbolic that just happened. I've already that's right. Moved, uh, now we have a symbolic thing that's happening down at the state capitol in Minnesota, which we're going we're gonna to give you a, 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 an audio of, which they said that they're calling for jihad in Minnesota. So apparently, from what I'm understanding, they don't have the numbers, but in the Quran in 4735, which is uh, chapter 47, ayah 35, it states in there that once you become and you get the upper hand, you then call out for jihad. So they must believe in the Minneapolis area that they can call out jihad now if they, because they must believe they have the upper house. And that's what I'm seeing. Now, Minneapolis, they probably do have the upper house. I don't think they have the numbers. But just remember, Minnesota has the most representatives in the whole country in the state. We have 11. There are 84 representatives 
uh, Muslim representatives that were elected throughout the country. 11 of those are just in Minnesota. So we are, they are invading the upper house in Minnesota at an alarming rate. And here's the deal. I've said it before. Minnesotans are asleep at the wheel. They have no idea it's coming. You can tell them and tell them. You can put it in their face and they just don't get it. So really, it's kind of on us, isn't it? It's really kind of on the ignorance of Minnesotans. You know, they can commit fraud. And what do we do? We let them do the same things. They can commit uh, female genital mutilations. We continue that. They pray in school in a symbol, symbol, uh, symbolism. They wear all the hijabs. They wear the garb. They, they, put the, they have uh, pray, prayer rugs in the schools and the schools supply it. They pray five times a day when it doesn't, it says that, uh, in uh, 428 of the Quran, chapter 4, ayah 28, it says, I all have made you weak and made man weak. So when you're in the land of Darl Harb, you don't have to, you do as they do, act as they act, and be as they are. You don't have to pray it. You can pray later on and put your prayers later on in the day. So we, by using their playbook, which is the Quran, which is a war manual, we use this. We can understand what they're doing. 428 is a fine example of that. Let's say you. Right. No, you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, uh, it, you know, within the lower house, these things are not required, as you said. Yet, the fact that our culture gives into them. Uh, we've said this before on the show. There's no way that the Islamic movement in Michigan, Minnesota, or any part of the United States, or even in, in, in Western Europe, would have the ground that it has gotten if it was not for the foolish, useful idiots using the uh, communist terminology of the left. It is these leftists, it is the feminists, it is the LGBT, it is the foolish Democrats and foolish Republicans that are trying to capitulate to the Islamic movement, thinking that they can control it, thinking that they can uh, rein it in. And all they're doing is facilitating the DFL, the Democrat Farmer, Farmer Laborers Party in Minnesota has opened the door for the Muslim Brotherhood movement in Minnesota, for Minnesota to be, again, in my opinion, the first state in the United States where the Muslim community will declare it, maybe internally. I mean, that, look, they're not going to come out in the public uh, and, and hold a press conference and say, Minnesota is now the upper house of Islam. We've conquered. Of course, they're not going to say that. We're, we're not that stupid to think that that's what they're going to say. But they're going to internally say, like they have in Western Europe, uh, Great Britain is now a, a upper house of Islam. The mayor of, the, the, of London is a Sharia-compliant Muslim. Uh, they're going to say, again, Hamtramck, Michigan. We brought that example up last show. Uh, that used to be a Polish community. Now, Muslim-majority city occupied by the, more than 50% of the population are Muslim. Uh, Muslim-majority city council, Muslim mayor, Muslim police chief. So this is what their end goal is. And, and just really quick, I wanted to highlight, you mentioned the attack three years ago. It was actually three days ago that the attack happened in New York that was on the three-year anniversary of the ISIS-inspired jihadist. Uh, his name, uh, let me get to this here real quick, uh, Saifula Saipov was the guy that committed the act three years ago. So three days ago on the three-year anniversary, talk about symbolism, like you said, Ron, another man that they're claiming he's mentally unstable rents a u-haul and mows people down and kills one and injures eight in new york city almost in the same area that the other guy did it 
Now, get this, now the, 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 the attorneys for uh, Syapov, the guy that three years ago, they want a mistrial because this latest attack is going to, uh, they claim, uh, cloud the jury pool. Isn't that convenient? Isn't that convenient? And speaking of what you mentioned in the Minnesota State Capitol, maybe this is a good time. This is a good time, Ron. Let's go ahead and have our producer play that clip well, and just let's like set the stage. For, let's set the yeah. stage first of what actually happened there. Could you explain what that happened? Yeah, please? you got it. You got it. So this is being reported on again jihadwatch.org, and the, the, the this was a a tweet uh, that was given by uh, this is Chabis. Uh, is the tweet hand, uh, handle uh, where he posted a video of a group of Somalis that are talking about ending genocide, supposedly. in uh, So they're in the Minnesota state capitol. They're having a rally about ending genocide. Uh, and, and I presume this genocide is talking about what's going on in the occupation of Muslim worlds by the Westerners. That, that was, I think, the context of this. And Crime Watch Minnesota... Uh, um, corrected the article that it was not in the city council, but it was in the state capitol. And this individual uh, is his name. Let me give you his name here real quick. Uh, Ali Khalif Bulgas Bulgas. You have this, uh, they, they love to have double names at the end. Um, the video was posted by him. He is an ardent fan, by the way. Uh, on his Facebook page, he's got posts about supporting Ilhan Omar. So he's an ardent supporter of Ilhan Omar in Minnesota. Uh, he's got images of her fight back, donate. Uh, congratulations, Ilhan Omar. And uh, this video is now of him calling for Muslims to commit jihad in Minnesota. And it is not spiritual. You'll see in the 34 second video, it, it is translated. It is not spiritual. He's talking about bombs. He's talking about warfare. He's talking about weapons. This Now, can you imagine if a Trump-wearing white dude was at the Minnesota State Capitol, Ron, saying it's time for us to attack Minnesota with bombs? And so I'm just giving you the context here. This would be on the front page of every uh, lying mainstream media outlet in America uh, insurrectionist, domestic terrorist. Uh, we got to arrest everybody. Just keep that in context <clears throat> as we now watch this quick clip of this Muslim supporter of Ilhan Omar, a Somali Muslim in the state of Minnesota calling for jihad. Let's play that clip. Sharam, I'll insert it. You guys can just go it. ahead. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll we'll just go, go, go get, say, say, did you know, refer to it, but I'll, I'll insert yeah. it. Yeah. You got it. Thank you. All right, here we go. Ready? So we'll go five, four, three, two, one. So Ron, right there, you see in this clip that number one, according to Surah chapter four, uh, 95, he is actually quoting when he says the one who refuses to take part in this jihad is a coward. He is actually referring to uh, the Quran, Surah 495, that 
Allah has said that those of the believers who are unhurt, meaning they're not physically hurt, they're not uh, disabled, but if they sit behind and don't fight in Allah's path with their property and their lives, meaning physical battle, Allah has preferred those who fight with their property and lives a whole degree above. So that's what he's talking about. He's referring to Surah chapter 495 and other verses in the Quran that are saying Allah will give special preference to those who fight. And you notice that he's talking about that we're going to bring, may Allah make that person experience um, uh, hellfire on this earth and the hereafter, right? And then this jihad, we're going to finance this war if you don't help us finance. And he talks about bringing in weapons from, um, where do you say, from uh, uh, Ukraine and South Africa. Uh, we're going to, what does he say? I swear to Allah, we will bomb them and bury their dead. Now, does that sound like spiritual? Does this video clip sound like cultural or just symbolic jihad? And no, so, how, yeah, how about we wait and we'll report on this in a few weeks and we'll see if the FBI or the corrupt Justice Department in this country does anything about the Somali Muslim calling for jihad, waging jihad against the West, against Minnesota, as supporter again of Congresswoman. Is Ilhan Omar going to come out and denounce this individual? You think that will oh. happen? I mean, so this is what we're talking about is that how is this compatible? How can we coexist and live with individuals that are following an ideology, folks, that wants to do nothing but to subjugate us? We either have to become second class or we have to convert to Islam, Surah chapter 9, or fight. That's Surah chapter 9, verse 5. We either have to convert to Islam, option one. That's not, that's not going to happen for me. I know it's not going to happen for you, Ron. Number two, we got to become second-class citizens called dhimmi and pay a tax to be protected. I ain't doing that. Or number three, you have to fight. You fight until one is established. Either Allah, Islam wins or Judeo-Christian. Now, we know, again, our fight is not spirit, it's not physical. So we have to fight this with information, with education, we have to fight this with prayer. And one more thing, we have to fight this with evangelism. We have to share the gospel because the only thing that will change the hearts of these people, like this individual, Ali Khalif Bulkas Bulkas, is that they must come to denounce Islam, leave this, this wretched demonic ideology, and come into the light of the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the one true God who loves them, who's died for them. The God of the Bible doesn't call them to die for him. The God of the Bible says, I've died for you so you can live for me. That's the only solution. But in the meantime, Ron, what do we do? I mean, what do you expect? You're in Minnesota. What do you expect? How come this has gotten no coverage? This was, by the way, this was February 11th. This was five days ago at the state capitol. Why, why do you think this has gotten no coverage in Minnesota? I was going to mention that. I had yet heard about that until today. And I live here. It's not in our media. They cover up everything that happens here. Um, the mere fact that he called out jihad, he called out jihad and he called out warfare, and he basically uh, said that we're going to bring in weapons to come at you, and they would do more, the Minnesota politicians in law here 
would do more at attacking you as Sharam Hadian for saying, yeah, we need to fight back and stop there. But you said through prayer, right? But they would probably come at you more as that is, are you calling out to fight them? They would come more at you than they would at him saying that he's going to actually physically come at you with weapons. That's how that's how demonic uh, uh, Minnesota is becoming, how socialist and how much we've given into this uh, political warfare of uh, this culturalism. This culturalism is is destroying not only it's destroying our educational system, it's destroying our hospitalization uh, way of life so the emergency rooms because they uh, because of all the things they do with within their culture. I mean, we we were get, we're getting hit at just about every angle here in Minnesota, and it's costing us a lot of money. And yet, we keep believing that we can blend these two together, Islam and and the United States Constitution, and they will be a kumbiotic state at one time. Well, let me tell you something: it's not working. It's not going to work. We've given it too much, and the mere fact that we have not heard about this—you just brought this up on Catching Fire News. Is, is a crying shame. We need to get this out. That they just they just called out for warfare at our state capital. It needs to be it needs to be addressed. I don't uh, think absolutely. we're going to it. Absolutely, it should be addressed by law enforcement. It should be addressed by every elected official. But they're too afraid because, as you said, Islam is now untouchable. It's sort of like the LGBTQ trans movement. It's now untouchable politically uh, in the media uh, versus, as you said. If I even use the word fight, and we use it all the time spiritually, hey, we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a fight for the soul of America, right? That kind of language. They would come after me. And when you talk about being incompatible, um, we have an article that we're going to put up on the screen right here by the from the American Thinker. This is an interesting article by Raymond Ibrahim, who's a former Muslim like I am. And the article is titled, How America is Becoming Like a Muslim Country. So when we see all the things you describe, third world conditions, the, the, the aspect of, of dependence on government, socialism, communism, Marxism, um, it references um, the attack on Christians. It references how easily Christians can be attacked in America or labeled as uh, haters, terrorists, um, white supremacists, but yet Muslims are protected. That's one of the things he talks about in the article. Um, it, it, so, so it, it talks about again how how uh, we are so much allowing Muslims to set up their own again quote unquote culture, which we know is not just cultural; it's Sharia in communities, and it's not just happening in Minnesota. We can point to California, we can point to Texas with the number of mosques in Texas. We can point to the fact that these refugees in Idaho, I was just talking to another friend of mine in Boise, Idaho, in Twin Falls, Idaho, per capita, one of the places that has gotten the most Muslim refugees per capita in the United States. They're targeting these areas. Minnesota is an interesting dichotomy because Minnesota with its uh, Christian heritage, uh, we're talking about what four plus hundred years, Ron, of Christian heritage in Minnesota. All the settlers that were there. The problem is, you said it. Minnesota is way too nice. Minnesota is way too naive. They've sat back the Minnesotans for way too long, and now it's it's 
it's the twelfth hour. It, it, it is it is at at you know the point of almost no return if people in Minnesota do not rise up. And then on top of that, you see how, as we talked about, I think on the last show, the the promotion of abortion and transgenderism now in Minnesota, the, the most regressive abortion bill in the country that just got passed. Um, it you know, but I encourage people to look up that article, read it. It's an interesting article comparing um, some of the uh, of the comparisons of why America is very much uh, moving down the road of even Western Europe, where you have all of these enclaves that are set up, and and you don't go in these places, right? That's why in Western Europe, Ron, they call these places no-go zones. Uh, they're initially the government calls them urban sensitive zones. But we know them as no-go zones because once they take over those areas, um, how many Christians do you think feel comfortable going into Cedar Riverside? It, you don't you know, outside there. Minneapolis. Yeah, you don't go there, not deliberately. Not not deliberately, here's right? The, I mean, that's here, here's an interesting uh, an interesting subject here. When you say they are they're nation building in the United States. But they're also sect building. Mm. And the reason I say that even Islam itself is breaking them up some, themselves up into sects, into tribal nations. When you go to Hamtramzik or you go to Dearborn, you see the more Arabs there. You go to Minnesota, you see the, the North, uh, West Africans here. You go to uh, uh, in, in Idaho, Twin Falls, you'll see another different tribal or another different the, the Syrians. Of, yeah, the a lot Syrians. of the Syrian Muslims. Yeah. Yeah. See, but see, when we say no go zones, now just so people understand, these no zones can sometimes apply for Muslims because they it's a tribal warfare where you got the Sunnis against the Shiites against the uh, 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 so there's the they're also tribal within its own nature. I mean within Somalia, you have 10 different tribes of no-go zones. You don't go into each tribe. And that's what we're seeing in St. Cloud. We're seeing in Minneapolis, they have different tribes. They have the, the uh, Bantu tribe, which is the Northern Africans that were held as slaves in Somalia. Then you have the Somalians. You have the Northern Somalians in Somaliland. You have Somalians down in the Southern part of Somalia. And they're tribal building in the United States. So yes, it, it applies for also Muslims in the no-go zones because they're very tribal in nature. Would you agree? Well, that, I, absolutely. That, that's a great point. That's a fantastic point. And I think that's why the video that we just watched a few minutes ago where this individual is calling for jihad and then calling those Muslims who don't engage as cowards is because the warning, as I said earlier, when they go to the upper house or if they're getting close to go to the upper house, that warning isn't just for the non-Muslims where they're going to tell them the truth. It's also for the Muslims. And that's what you're talking about within tribalism and within sectarianism. Now, we can argue that, you know, the, the for example, in, in, in Dearborn and in Hamtramck, you have more Shia Muslims, whereas in, in um, the Syrians, the Somalis, uh, uh, the African Muslims, uh, they're, they're, and of course, the Egyptian Muslims, those are the the the, the um, they're Sunni. They're the the Turkish Muslims. They're Sunni. Right. So 
But yet, so at, at the end of the day, ultimately they're going to agree on the end goal. But yet, they, they they are segmented. They are sectarianism, and I think that's why the warning is there. The warning is there. I think this individual is giving a warning to the Muslim community. You need to come under the banner of jihad. You need to come under the banner of Islam. We need to put our differences aside, uh, and all of us need to fight to accomplish what we've got to accomplish. If you don't, you're a coward. If you don't, you have hellfire. And that's what you were saying earlier, is that if you, uh, if Muslims label you as a Muslim as a hypocrite, because you will not follow the teachings, you won't follow the example of, of Muhammad, then they can eventually kill you. They'll ostracize you, they'll blacklist you, but then they can eventually kill you because they can then deem you as an apostate. So it's not just me. I mean, I'm an apostate because I came out of Islam. I, 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 I have exposed Islam. I've denounced Islam as a demonic false ideology. I'm an apostate for sure. And I deserve to be killed for sure, according to the, to the, to the Sharia. But I'm talking about for the Muslims themselves. So this is, a, this is very interesting right now. What's going to happen in the Muslim community itself, Ron, in these places? Are they going to recognize that they now have no choice? Our call shouldn't be just for non-Muslims to rise up against Islam and resist Islam being um, implemented in the United States. Our call should be to those Muslims who left those nations like I did, many Iranians in, in Southern California, there's a million plus Iranians who are Shia Muslims. Many of them don't want to live under Sharia. Many of them don't want to live like what's going on in Iran right now. Our call is to them. Where are you in resisting this barbarianism and this brutality that is Sharia, that is jihad? Because you have to denounce Islam. It, it's like, uh, um, remember that gal from, from Somalia, Ayan Hersen Ali? She was the black, tall black, and she was very outspoken. I would always argue because they would say, oh, look, she's so outspoken against Islam. And I'd say, yes, amen, she's outspoken. But then she would try to defend and, 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 and pretend like there was some version of Islam that was compatible with the West, that was compatible with Judeo-Christian values. And the reality is, folks, there isn't. And I kept saying, Ayan Hurson Ali, you need to just become a Christian. Like she was kind of like one foot in, one foot out. She was like, I'm kind of agnostic or I'm an atheist. No, you need to just become a Christian because you've already left Islam. So I, I know uh, we don't have a lot of time left, uh, but this is the, 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 the $64 million question, Ron, is how can we resist this ideology? We must continue to expose it. Uh, we must continue to pray for courage for pastors and elected officials to say no, no, to this implementation. And if we can't even call it out, if we can't even say that the U-Haul attackers or the jihadists or the people that are committing these acts and saying these things are Muslims and it's coming out of Islam, then we've lost the we've lost the battle, haven't we? You, you got that right. We are we are we are reached our witching hour with those thoughts. I just want to end it with this. Romans 13 says that we must obey our government. But when the government becomes disobeyed, when they go against the laws of the land, we must not follow it because we are just as much guilty as following the laws that are bad. Romans 13, 
If we have a disobedient government, do not follow them. Uh, uh, because we are just as much the problem then. And that's exactly where we're, uh, where we're, where we're heading. With that said, Catchy Fire News wants to thank TIL Ministries and, uh, and, and Tra- uh, uh, Shrub Hadian for all he does. And we're going to be back next week uh, with episode 12. And we're going to be talking about more of Islam in America is it compatible. With that said, thank you, Shrub, and we'll see you next week.